turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to continue our walk through the book of Hebrews. Uh, before we get into it, though, uh, as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 3, I want you just to bow your head and let's just pray and ask the Lord's blessing on His Word this morning. Lord, we come before You. And Lord, I, I feel very strongly what that song said when we were singing it, that I'm not enough unless You come. Lord, I'm not enough in this moment unless you speak, unless you anoint, unless you make the, your word come alive. I'm not enough and I never will be. And I'm okay with that, God, because it's in my weakness that I know that your strength can be put on full display. So God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would come into this place and supernaturally make your word come alive. Lord, that we would be encouraged in your presence, that we would, we would be changed, that we'd be challenged. Do whatever you want to do, God, as we've been singing and saying all morning, have your way in us. And we believe you for all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Have you ever had a night where you just could not get any rest? And if you're, you know, older than, than five, you probably have had at least one of those nights. But I mean, just for whatever reason, you just could not get any rest. Maybe it was because of worries, things weighing your mind down and you couldn't uh, uh, settle down enough to get some sleep. Or maybe, maybe as a parent you've had those nights where you were up all night because you had a child who was sick and you couldn't rest because either you were tending to them or you were listening for them in the, in the next room to, to be able to take care of them. And, and uh, you know, I mean, listen, if you are a new parent, like like the Harmons up here, now they probably don't, not to the point where they have experienced this yet, but new parents... Uh, well, they, they have experienced it just in a different way than I'm going to talk about. New parents live in the reality of not getting any rest. That's just part of living there. And, and they're, they're sort of past the, the early stage where the baby cries at night and you have to get up every couple of hours. But then there is a stage coming where, and every parent here knows what I'm talking about, where in the middle of the night, your child is going to come and crawl in bed with you. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and, and, and there's... In those nights, you will not get any rest because there is an immutable law of nature. It is wired into their DNA somehow or another that when a child gets into bed with his or her parents, he or she will inevitably go sideways and H-bone them. And, and the feet will be in one parent's guts and the, and the head will be in the other parent's guts. And, and neither parent wants to move because they don't want to disturb the child. And neither parent really gets any rest all night. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm exactly what I'm talking about. So, uh, or, or maybe maybe you you didn't get any rest because you've had one of those nights where just something happened, and uh, and it was just made it hard to get some rest that uh, that night. I've I've told this story to several of you, but I remember a time uh, a little while after Julie and I got married, and we were we were lying in bed asleep, and and uh, I was just dead away, and all of a sudden. She sat bolt, at, bolt upright in bed, and, uh, and she was, and, I, and her movement woke me up, and I looked at her, and she was staring toward the doorway at the, at the foot of our bed, and, uh, and I saw her staring through the darkness, and I, so I, I immediately sat up and started trying to see what she was looking at, which, which is a joke, because my, my vision is so bad without contacts in or eyeglasses, I can't see beyond here. And so it's already dark and I can't see anyway. And I'm trying to look through the dark to see what's going on. And, and I can't see anything, anything at all. And, and I, you know, I mean, I thought somebody, maybe somebody ha had gotten into the house. And, and so immediately I had this fear and adrenaline that just shot through my body. And, you know, it's kind of one of those moments where I wanted to scream, but all I could get out was, ah. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so here I am. My heart is pounding. I'm, I'm squinting through the darkness trying to see this intruder. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking my, I should get up and, you know, try to fight this guy off. I want to do something. I don't know what to do. And, and I'm trying to get Julie's attention because I can't see what's going on. So I'm trying to ask her, what's, what's going on? What do you see? What's happening? Did you hear something? And, and she didn't answer, didn't say a word, which is even worse. She just keeps staring into the darkness. And then after a few seconds of this, it seemed like forever, but after a few seconds of this, she finally speaks up and she says, no way, Jose, them aren't toilets. And it was that moment I realized she was dreaming and she was talking in her sleep. 
Now here's the thing. After that, she, within five seconds, is completely back into, into REM sleep. And I'm there completely pumped full of adrenaline. You know what I'm talking about? I'm there, and so for the rest of the night, every time the air conditioner kicked on or a car drove by, I was like, what was that? What was that? What was that? You know, and that's just the way it was. And so I got very little rest that night. I was exhausted the next day. But, but, but other than moments like that, which that's the only time that, that anything that's extreme has ever happened. But other than moments like that, however, I usually rest very, very well at home. Now, I don't do it nearly as well in other places like hotels. You know, I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking about? If you sleep in hotels, a lot of times it's just not the same. You just don't sleep well. You can't get the temperature right. You know, if it's, you, you get the blanket on and it's too much, you take it off and then you're cold and the mattress is not right. It's too hard or it's too soft or you don't, I mean, there's all kinds of things, you know, you just, just, not, you just don't do well in hotels. And, and, and the fact is, I don't, even, I don't even rest very well most of the time when, even when I'm staying on, with family on vacation. Um, you know, even though it's a, it's a comfortable place and I know everybody, it's still just not the same. If I'm not at home, I tend to struggle to really rest. Anybody relate with that? But, but home is a different deal, man. I, can, I mean, I can sleep at home. I can get under my blanket, or this time of year, I get under a sheet. Anybody uses a blanket this time of year, I don't know what is wrong with you. Uh, but, but I can get under my sheet, and I can sleep well. I mean, I can sleep hard, because there's something about being home. There's something about being in my house. There's something about the familiarity of everything. There's something about walking in to my house, and, and my wife usually has... You know, a lot of times she has those candle warmers. She used to burn candles. Now, we, now they buy the candle warmers. And so she usually has a candle warmer going. And so there's a certain smell to the house. And if my girls are home, uh, if they're not working, which that's, you know, they work a lot. But, but if, they're not, if they're not working, they'll be there. And I'll probably go poke my head in their bedrooms and say hi to them. Maybe go over there, give them a hug. Maybe sit for a couple minutes and talk to them. And, 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 and the truth is, when I come home, I'm going to walk in. And, and our little dog, Alpine, he's a little Pomeranian. Uh, he, he's going to be so excited to see me that he's going to be spinning in circles when he sees me. That's just what he does. And, and, and so there's just, it's just in the moment I feel like I'm at home, you know. And, and, and at my house, not only that, at my house, I know all the rules, right? I don't know the rules at your house. You know what I'm talking about? But I know all the rules at my house. Like, for example, when my daughters were little... Uh, they could run through the house at, at our house, and that didn't bother us. In fact, when we were living in, in Reno, we had this really long house, and, and our, our oldest daughter, she got, a, she got a bike, and she rode her bike down this long hallway back and forth because it was too cold to ride outside. And that was okay. That was, that was in the rules. But you know what? We were not going to let our daughter ride her bike in your house. So we don't know the rules. We're not going to let them run around. If I'm a, if, when they were little, if I was at your house... The whole time, if I didn't see where they were, I'd be worried because I'd be like, oh, no, are they going like, to light something on fire? What's going to happen here? I don't know what's going on. And so I don't know the rules at your house. And, and in my house, if I want to eat something, like, like if I want to go fix a bowl of cereal or I want to heat up some corn, you know, whatever. Uh, if I want to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I know how to do that because I know where everything is, or at least generally speaking. There are times when I have to say, Julie, where is, you know, but most of the time I, I know where it is. And so I, I know where the food is. I know where all the pots and pans are. I know where the, the, the dishes are. I know all of those things. But if I'm at your house, I just don't know how to pull that off. For me, there's something about being home. That, that no matter how busy things are outside of it, no matter how rough of a day it's been outside of the home, there's something about the knowledge of what, what's there at home and what it means to be there that makes my soul feel rest. Makes my soul feel rest. For me, home is this really safe place to come to, to rest and to recharge and to be loved and to love back without any masks. See, see the really beautiful part about my relationship with my wife is that she, she loves me 
uh, even though she knows me. Anybody relate? You know what I'm talking about? She, she, and she doesn't just know me, you know, Dave Hoskins, the pastor, like some of you know me. She just knows me. She, she just knows Dave Hoskins. She knows all of my failings. And she knows the things that I'm really good at. She knows the things that I, that I think I'm good at, but I'm not good at. And she knows the things that I'm really bad at. She just knows me. But, but, but that, that place where you are completely known and yet you are still loved is a really, really beautiful place where you can just rest. You can just rest. And I don't, I don't think, I tell you all of this, this picture of home, and uh, I, I, don't, I tell you all that, but I want you to understand, I don't think that all of that is an accident. I think this is just another one of those pictures that God paints on creation to teach us what He's like and what He's inviting us into. Like, like, like for example, you know, I, I believe God paints pictures in creation all the time to teach us about Himself. And, and for example, one of those was when I became a father, suddenly I understood what it meant for him to be my father God in a whole new way because I, I began to see the picture of cre- that's painted on creation. And I believe that home is a picture that God paints on creation to show us what he's like and to show us what he's trying to invite us into. You're going you're to see in Hebrews chapter 3, the author uses the word house or home seven times in six verses. So I'm not reaching... With this, God is going to say, listen, I have a house myself. I have a home myself. So let me show you what I, what I mean by this. In Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are, are of his, excuse me, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So you have this idea being unpacked in these first six verses that God has a home, God God has a house, God has a place of rest, this, this place of healing, this place where you can come in and be known and yet still be loved without pretense, without pretending. He, he has this spot on the sofa because he, here's the thing, you know, like one of the things that happens when I go home is that there's this one spot on the sofa that's my spot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's this one spot on the sofa and, and, it, and, our, and it reclines. And so when I get home, what I do, I, I sit down and recline on the sofa. That's the first thing I do just about always when I get home. And, 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 and so God is saying, listen, there is this spot on the sofa that's there for you that you can come in. He has this place of rest. He has this place where you, you know what it means to be there. He, he has this home. And I, and I want to clarify this, this idea of the house of God, because historically there's been some error when it comes to this idea of the house of God. Growing up, uh, there was a lot of confusion about what the church building was be, because of the, 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 the model of church that, that I grew up, grew up in. You know, they called it this is the house of God. And, and there's some truth to that to a certain extent. But, but, but when I grew up, you had to dress a certain way. And there were certain things that you couldn't do because it would dishonor God in his house. And so when you came to church, you had to dress a certain way because you were in God's house. You know, it was like if you wore a hat or a bandana, and I don't know a lot of you, if you're older, you, you're like, listen, that's just bad manners anywhere inside. But, but if you wore a hat or a bandana in, in, in the church, then you had defiled God's building. I mean, there's a whole new level of, of, of wrongness. And, and, and the idea was that this building, this building of brick and, and, and mortar and sheetrock was the actual dwelling place the, the actual place where God hangs out. God Almighty lives in the, in the building. But the problem with that is that nowhere in Scripture is a building truly the dwelling place of God. 
And I know if you're sharp and you know your scripture, you're probably thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the temple in the Old Testament? Wasn't it the house of God? Well, the temple was never really the house of God. The temple was another picture that taught God's presence was among Israel. And the reason I know that the temple was not the house of God is because whenever Israel started to believe that, God would rebuke them. Like in Isaiah 66, Israel's getting a little confused about the temple and, and they're going, okay, uh, this is where God lives. This is where he belongs. And they begin to revere the temple more than the revering God because they, th they say this is God's where God lives. And then God rebukes them by saying this in Isaiah 66, 1. Listen to what he says. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? In other words, it would be like me trying to build Elon Musk or Donald Trump or Bill Gates a house on my salary. Right? You know what I'm saying? Because that's what God is saying here. I mean, it's what God is going. He's like, okay, okay, now come on, come on. You stand on the planet that I created. You stare up at the stars in the heavens that I created and you want to build me a house? You know, if I tried to build a house for Bill Gates, he'd be like, uh, no thanks, I got a better one. That's what God is saying. He's saying, I don't need you to build me a house. You can't build a house that's going to contain me because I created everything and you're going to build this little place on this planet Earth and say this is where you live. And another example that proves this even further is, is in the New Testament is in Acts 17.24. Paul in his message to the Mars Hill crowd in Athens, he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now that is significant because at the point in time when Paul said this, the, the temple is still standing in Jerusalem. It has not been destroyed by Rome yet. That happens later in history. So even though Paul, as he described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, he is a Jew to the core and, and the temple is still standing, he stands in front of the, of the Mars Hill, Hill crowd and say, in, in Athens and he says, God does not dwell in a temple. Now, now, this carries huge weight today because there are a lot of people who believe that, that they are in right standing with God, that things are good with God because they come to, quote unquote, God's house. They think that they're right with God because they come to church to offer some kind of sacrifice as if this was Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom or something. You know, let's come in and offer the sacrifice and we'll be set. What, what's the sacrifice? Well, you know, it's not bulls and goats, goats anymore, but, but it's more like, well, you know, I'm missing that football game. Or, you know, I'm, I, I, could be out, I could be out camping right now. Or, or, or I, I'm, I'm, I'm missing going out to the lake this morning. Or, or it might be something as simple as, well, I'm, I'm not sleeping in, am, am I? I'm sacrificing my sleep to be here, God. So, so there, there are so many that have this idea that if I'm simply part of a religion, if I simply belong to a church, if I'm part of the institution, if I come into this building, then I've done my duty and everything's okay. But we have to understand that walking into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a garage makes you a car. That's not the way it works. But according to Scripture, the house of, of God is not a building and it's not an institution. Now, buildings and institutions, there's nothing wrong with those. It's good that we have a building. It's good that we have a place to gather and come and worship together as a family of God. But we need to understand this is not the house of God. This is a house of God in the sense that we have set it aside. We have dedicated it to him. It is, it is, it is sanctified for his use and for his presence. But this is not the house of God. In, in this text, he mentions two people, Moses and Jesus. When Moses is mentioned in the New Testament, more times than not, Scripture is referring to the law. So, so what, what he says here is that the house of God, the home of God, the, this place of rest that God invites us into was served by Moses. It was served by the law. The, the Old Testament 
was a servant of the house of God. So Moses and the law, as the servant, basically, they got the house ready for the master. They, they mowed the lawn. They, they, the, they, they, the, the law painted the, the fence. The law moved in the furniture and put it in its right, right place. But it was just a servant of the house. But the master of the house is Jesus. That's what he's saying. So here's the big question. Jesus has this house. He has this dwelling place. So where is it? Where is it? If it's not a building and it's not an institution, where is it? And I would even ask, I would say that maybe there's another question we need to ask. We need to say, what is it? Well, he's going to answer our question in verse 6. So look there with me. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now we're back to talking about his house, his home. And he's talking about his house. What is the next line? And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the house of God is not a building built with bricks and mortar and sheetrock and electrical wires. The house of God, the home of God is the souls of men. You and I are created to be part of this house of God. And here, here's a way I think you help, maybe help you understand it. My house, my home is not a building in Marion, Arkansas. My house, my home is Julie, my wife. It's Aaron and Gail, my, my daughters, and, and I can't leave out our crazy little dog, Alpine. That's, that's my house. It doesn't matter whether we're in our house in, in Marion or we're in a tent somewhere else. My home is that group of people and one dog. And, and God, in the same way, is saying, my home, my house is not a building. My house and my home is a group of people who would courageously trust me, who would submit to my lordship, and who would kneel and say, be the master of my soul. Now let's take the two ideas of home and house and combine them with what God is saying his home is. What's happening is there is an invitation going out from God Almighty to come inside, to come and lie down on the sofa, come and put your feet up, come get something to drink, come find rest for your weary soul. He's saying that, that the soul needs a home. And listen, at the end of the day, everybody knows it. At the end of the day, everybody knows that the soul needs a resting place. Everybody knows it. You can go into the bookstore and you'll find one of the biggest sections is the self-help section where they're trying to tell you how you can make your life work, how you can make your life make sense. They're tell, they're, in essence, they're trying to tell you this is where you can find some rest. If you would just do Pilates, you would find rest for your soul. If you would just handle your finances right, you would find rest for your soul. But none of those are places where we can find true rest. But everybody knows that our, that our soul needs a rest place and the unrest of the soul is the driving force behind almost all that that of, of what we do whether it's in the acquisition of wealth or relationships or becoming a workaholic it's that unrest we're saying there's something not right there's something missing if only I could get this if only I could have more if I could only figure this out then I could find rest and the push behind almost everything that we do is the unrest of our souls we say, if I could just do this, then I would find rest. If I could just get this, then I would be satisfied. If I could get this done, then I'll find some rest. But the scriptures say that God stands at the door and he says, if you want rest, come home. Come home, sit on the sofa. Come home, be loved and known. Come home and be healed. Come home. And be made whole. Come home where you, you don't have to pretend anymore. Where you can take your mask off and just be who you are. And know that you're still loved. Come and find rest. Come and be recharged. The invitation that goes out from God Almighty. Is come. Find your soul's home. Find your soul's home. So it's a really, really beautiful invitation, but it's followed by a warning. So, so look at this with me, verse 6. 
But Christ is faithful over God's house as his son, and, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and, and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now, by the way, this is a great example of Scripture testifying about Scripture, uh, because what you're about to read is actually taken straight from Psalm 95, but what we're told here in Scripture is that it wasn't David that, that wrote Psalm 95, it was actually the Holy Spirit. So it's just, that's what's happening here. It's a really cool part of Scripture testifying about Scripture. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was prov provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he's saying, here's the house, here's the place to find rest. But there's a warning. He says, don't be like these people, because I swore they will not find rest. So this passage is referencing the story of the Old Testament, and he's comparing it to the same thing that occurs even to this day. So what I'm going to do is very briefly just kind of talk through that story, and then I want to, uh, I want to lay it down on top of our lives and see if there's any parallel between that story and our lives. All right? So, so we know, we're not going to go into how they got there, but Egypt has Israel in slavery. This is a very, very short version of it. Moses comes through all the plagues and everything. He leads them out of slavery. God destroys the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. And eventually, they come right up to the place of rest. They come right up to the promised land. They're about to go into their place of rest. So God says, I've got this land that's flowing with milk and honey, which just means it's lush, it's beautiful, it's, powerful, it's great farmland. He says, I have this land of wealth, this land of rest, this land of safety, and I'm going to give it to you right now. So they, so they go up and they get right up to the river's ed, edge, right up there to the river Jordan, right on the edge of the promised land. And the 12 spies come back and uh, they, or they send out these 12 spies to say, let's go, go check it out, see what it's like. And, and so the 12 spies come back and two of them come back and they say, it's beautiful and it's ours. We got this. And 10 of them say, I, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think so. Because the people over there are really tall. I mean, that's true. Read the story. That was what they were concerned about. You know, they say, they're, they're big. They're tall. We're like grasshoppers to them. That was what they were concerned about. That's the excuse. And, you know, I, I just picture God at the moment saying, uh, yeah, well, remember, remember just a lot too long ago when I killed the entire Egyptian army with one, in one swoop? Um, I think I got this. And, and Israel's like, yeah, but the Egyptians are only 5'9", and these guys are 7 foot. I don't know if God can handle the 7 footers. You know, that's how ridiculous it is. But that was really the issue, was their height. And so God says, eventually, he says to them, okay, all right, fine. No rest then. Wander. And that began the 40 years. Sometimes we forget. We think they wandered 40 years before they got to the promised land. no. They came to the promised land first, wouldn't go in. Then they wandered for 40 years. And after the 40 years, that's when they finally went into the promised land. But God says, all right, fine. You, you don't want to trust me? You don't want to believe that I can give this place to you? Then wander. No rest for you. And, and even after his people say no thank you to the invitation into the rest, even after they begin to wander about the desert, here's how good God really is. Even in the desert, God was still blessing them in really powerful ways. In the 40 years of wandering, God was still blessing them. Like the scriptures say, that he, that he would lead them by, by, by his, this cloud during the day and a fire at night. And, and when they got hungry, bread just appears from the ground. You know, and he provides water for them when they're thirsty in the middle of the desert, like when Moses struck a rock and water poured out of it. And God is providing in these really beautiful ways and they can't even see it. They take it for granted and they can't even see what God is doing in their lives. And the Bible says that the entire time that they're wandering about the desert, which was their choice, by the way, they chose not to go in into the place of rest. God invites them into rest. He invites them to come sit on the sofa and they say, no, thank you. 
I'm all right. They're too big in there. But even in the desert, even in their wandering, God was providing, but they couldn't see it. And they began to grumble and complain. Can you believe that? Church people grumbling and complaining. Can you believe that? Thank God we've evolved past that. Yeah, funny how the more things change, the more we stay the same. But God's providing in all these beautiful ways. He's doing these beautiful things. And they're saying, God hates us. God's abandoned us. God hates us. They're saying it while they're eating the bread off the ground that just appeared overnight. You know? Think about that. God hates us. Hey, you're going to eat that? You know, that's just what it was, that's what it was like. So it, it was this really strange place where they've refused to be obedient, yet God continues to bless. And in that place, their hearts began to get hardened because they refused to see that it was God who was blessing them. Can I tell you this on a side note? This is where our country is. We've said no to God. But God, in, while we're, we've been wandering the wilderness, God has still been blessing us. And in that blessing, much of America's hearts has grown harder and harder and harder and harder. And refused to see that God had anything to do with all the blessing. But their hearts have grown so hard that they can't even see anymore that God continues to bless even in their disobedience. And listen, my friend, that is a dark dark, cold, hard place. So this story upon which the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to lay on our lives, because that's what the Bible, that's how you should read the Bible. Don't just read it to get information. But the idea is that you read it and you lay it on top of your life to see where your life lines up and where your life doesn't line up. And where it doesn't line up, that tells us where I need to change. But he's laying this on our lives and he's, and he's saying, hey, listen, this story plays itself out over and over and over again. And so he's saying, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, they heard his voice, they ignored it, they ended up not going into rest, they lost out on the, these things, their hearts got hardened. He's saying, but today, if you hear his voice, now let me just kind of chat here for a minute. This, this is a big issue that we've got to deal with here at this church. And it, I mean, it's, it's not just, I mean, it's not like, like a big problem, you know, that I see, but I'm just saying any church that's like us, you have to deal with it because there are churches out there that are really heavy on legalism. You, you know of them, churches, it's all about, you know, they say you, you can only watch, you know, these movies and it's only, you can only be watching R-rated if it's, if it's, uh, you know, about Jesus and that sort of thing. And, uh, you, but you can't do this. You can't read that. You can't say this. You can't say that. You, you, you better not go there. You better not dress this way. And on and on and on the list goes. And they're really, really heavy on legalism. And, 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 and listen, that can be completely devastating to a person's soul. Because it's all about trying to earn your way to God. And then there are churches that speak the truth about sin. But they emphasize the fact that there is grace for the sinner. That's who we want to be as a church at Restoration Life Church. We want to speak the truth. We're not going to shy away from that. But we're doing it in a way to express to people that God has grace for them. That's who we want to be. But, but here's, here's what happen, often happens. What often happens in a place that emphasizes grace is that because of the emphasis on grace, some people refuse to deal with their own junk. And they continue to walk in sin because they presume that Jesus will forgive them later. So they, so they, they, they come every week to church and they're challenged with the beauty of grace only to head home and start pumping up the keg and looking at pornography and, and walking in their pride, whatever it is. What happens in the end is this. When grace is misunderstood... You end up with people whom Jesus is trying to lead out of bondage who use grace as an excuse to stay in their bondage. Hear what I'm saying? Jesus, by his grace, is trying to lead them out of that bondage. And they keep saying, but Jesus will forgive me, so I'll stay right here and I'll keep doing what has held me in bondage. Sometimes we use grace 
as an excuse to avoid dealing with and being healed from our own junk. People, people listen to the message of grace and they say, oh, oh, Jesus loves me just like I am, so I don't even have to deal with my own junk. But here's what they miss. Yes, Jesus loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like you are. He wants to lead you out of that. They say, oh, God's grace is bigger than my sin, so I'll stay like I am. Like I am. And, and that's where Paul says, no, no, you, you're, you're missing the whole point of grace. God forbid that we say, well, let's sin it up because grace is greater than all of our sin. So if we sin more, then grace will be even greater. That was what the people were saying in the first century. And Paul wrote that in Romans. And instead of saying that, we need, we need to understand that, that Scripture violently warns us against that. So, so here's what the text says. The text says, today, if you hear his voice. You know what that means? That means that God still speaks to us today. Today, if, if God is talking to you, today, if God says, hey, let's, let's walk away from this. If he says, hey, let's, let's get help with this. If he says, let's walk toward this other thing in, in, in that I've got for you. Has, has God been leading you? Has, has God been saying, hey, let me help you? You cannot fix this thing on your own. You need to get some help. Have you heard something here? Have you heard something maybe in a small group meeting? Have you, have you heard those things and you've gone, hey, man, I, I really need to do that? Has God asked you to walk away from something or, or, and to walk towards something else? And, and in response, you've said no. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if he deals with you, today, if you hear him try to lead you in a certain way, keep in mind that what he's doing in that moment is standing in the doorway, inviting you into the home for your soul. He's not trying to get you to walk away from the things that bring you joy. He's trying to get you to walk away from the things that are destroying you. And he's saying, hey, come this way instead of that way. I'm inviting you into the place of rest. That's what he's doing. Today, if you hear that voice, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it because in the end, God's trying to take you deeper into rest and deeper into joy by what he asks of you. Now, Look at me right now, because I think, I, I know that there's some of us that are stuck in junk right now. If you are stuck in sin right now, here's what I know. Everything inside of you tells you that the worst possible thing you could do is to deal with your junk. The worst possible thing you could do is confess. The worst possible thing you could do is to get help, because... You think in your mind, but if I do that, others might think that I don't have it all together. Ding, 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 ding. You don't. You, you don't have it all together. Why, why would you want to live a lie? Because honestly, pretend land is a really weighty, horrible place to live. In fact, it's a place you cannot e ever even receive love. Did you know that? Have you thought about that? Because if you live in pretend land and you wear a mask all the time, then what happens is everybody enjoys you, they're around you, and you have a great time. Then you go home and you lie down in your bed, you lie your head, lay your head on your pillow at night, and you think to yourself, they only love the fake me. If they really knew me, they, they wouldn't really love me. And so you can't even receive the love from other people because you can't be yourself. Today... If you hear his voice, don't ignore it because by ignoring it, you take a step towards having your heart hardened. You know, here's a picture of it. When we first start walking with Jesus, especially if you started following Jesus as you were a little bit older, uh, but, but we, we have all this zeal, you know, we'll, and we'll just do anything. You know, Jesus is like, take a step here, take a step there, take a step here. And we're like, oh, oh here, there, there, who, here? Okay, what, what do I, what else? I, I'll do anything. I mean, we'll just do anything because we, we really love him and we're excited. We're full of the zeal and everything is really beautiful. So here's what happens. We, we faithfully follow and without fail, we get to that moment 
where he asks us to do something that doesn't feel right or isn't very comfortable for us, and we don't want to take that step. That moment is the crossroads. I really believe that you want to find rest for your soul. That moment where, where Christ asks you to do something that you don't want to do, that's the crossroads. Will you say yes? Will you get across the river and fight giants to go into, the, into rest? Or, or will you say no? Because if you say no, you, you might just end up wandering around for a while. And you know what? God will still bless you and it'll be really beautiful. But I think your ability to see it and your ability to be grateful to God for what he's doing will be diminished because of your refusal to follow him in obedience. And eventually, you'll be like the Israelites and you'll die in the wilderness. You know, here's what I know about my own life. I can't speak for you, but I know in my own life, when I feel disconnected and far from God, I can usually trace it back to a moment where God asked for obedience and I said no. Now, sometimes it's just the desert, you know? Sometimes it's just God saying, okay, we're going to walk through this valley now. You haven't done anything. It's not because of you. Sometimes that's just life. But more often than not in my life, though, I, I can trace it back to a moment where I said no. I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do it. And I've justified it with a thousand different reasons. But for whatever it was, I refused to obey. Sometimes it was something simple, like I'd see somebody who... Who, uh, who was standing there, you know, and they said, I'm hungry. And I just, and the Lord prompted me, go get him something to eat. And, and, and I had all kinds of excuses. Well, I'm busy. I've got this appointment. I got to get over here. I got to take care of this. I don't have this. I don't have that. And instead of obeying, I said no and went my way. And in those, I, and often I, I will find myself wandering, my, feeling far from God. And it traces back to that moment where God says, yeah, you keep wanting to talk about these other things, but I keep wanting to talk about this. You said no to me. And if I keep ignoring that, my heart gets harder and harder and harder. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because he's just trying to give you rest. He's trying to get you on the sofa, in the recliner. He's trying to get you into that place where you feel safe and warm and loved. And listen, maybe you're not getting this because I'm, because I'm talking about home and and for some of you, home for you was, was a nightmare. Maybe this idea of home being a safe place of rest isn't syncing up with you because home for you is, a, is this terrifying place and it's the last place that you want to be. And if, if you're from a home that was dark and maybe you, maybe you were ignored or maybe you were abused or maybe you just didn't exist, it felt like you didn't exist while you were there. Uh, I mean, if that was you, do you ever have, when you were growing up, did you ever have those friends that you went over to their house and, and, and you, you ate a meal and they all sat around the table and you, like, you didn't even know people did that? You know what I'm talking about? And, and their mom and their dad is looking at them and saying, how was your day, son? Oh, I love you so much, son. And, and you're like, what is this magical land? You know, is, is, what is this place? Where have I arrived? What is this place? And you, you kind of in that moment wanted to go, hey, are you guys hiring? You know, do you need an extra son or extra daughter? I'll just work here if, if you just let me hang out, you know, I'll clean the place. What, what is this place? But the great thing about Jesus in this house that was created for us. If that's you, if you say, I can't relate to this whole idea of home being safe. The great thing about Jesus in this house th that was created for the soul is that he happens to be in the adoption business. And it's even better news than that because he, he happens to be in the adop adoption business and he loves adopting people from really dysfunctional homes. I mean, if you don't believe me, take a walk through the Bible. People who God called and people God used, it's adulterers, murderers, liars, thieves. I mean, he seemed to have a thing for murderers. I, you just look at it, you see it. But there is a home for the soul. This place of rest. Like, here's the way I think about it. We're close with this. This week, I'm going to be working in the office here every day. And every day, at some point in time, I'm going to finish up everything I need to do that day, and, and I'm going to head home. It's a great time of day when you get to head home, isn't it? And I'm going to walk in through the garage door, 
you know, and, and I'm here to tell you right now, Alpine, our little dog, is going to be the first one to greet me. And he's, he's going to start spinning circles in front of me because he's so excited and he want, he'll want to play. And, and then if my daughters aren't working, I'm going to go find them and say hi, give them a hug. And there, there might be something cooking in the kitchen and, and the house is going to smell awesome. And, uh, and, and I'm going to sit down and, re, on, and recline on my spot on the sofa. And Julie's going to be sitting on her spot because she's got a spot that she usually sits at too. And, and, and then after that, you know, as soon as I sit down, Alpine's going to want to climb up on my lap uh, for a couple minutes because, because he's told me that I give the best belly rubs. And so, he, you know, that's, that's why he wants to get up there with me. But, and, I, and, and what's going to happen is I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to look around. And I'm going to find myself sitting in a painting that God Almighty has painted to show me that he has a place for my soul. God looks down on creation and he goes, how can I communicate safety and rest to them? How can I communicate being loved, being known, being safe, being protected? How can I communicate that? And so for me, he grabs that brush and he paints my living room and he paints my wife and he paints my daughters and me and he paints my family in our living room, playing together, talking together, just to show, to teach, to explain the rest that he has for those who will enter in. So, so here's the word for today. Maybe you're here because somebody dragged you here. You know, I mean, first time I ever, you know, I mean, I, I asked a question a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night Bible study. How many of you, the first time you came to the Lord, you, when you came to the Lord, it was because somebody dragged you to that place. And just about everybody said, yeah, that was me. Maybe that's you and you, you're, you're here because of that and. And, but, but something that I've said has kind of resonated with you. And, and now you're saying, okay, yeah, I can see that my soul is restless. How do, how do I find that rest? Maybe you're thinking, I need rest. I, I need my soul to find that rest. Well, in a second, I'm going to pray for us. And while I'm praying, here's what I believe. I believe a, a great first step for, would be for you just to simply say, Jesus, I want to sit on your sofa. And I know that sounds like a really ridiculous prayer, but I think he'll know what, what you mean. Because he knows you're going to be saying, I'm, I, need, I need a safe place for my soul. I need a place where I can rest. And then, and then on your way out here, you, on your ride home, or as soon as you can, grab your cell phone and, and call somebody who knows and loves Jesus and say, hey, I asked Jesus to help me sit on the sofa today. Now, if they're not here, they're going to be really confused by that. But you can just sort of unpack it and try to explain it to them. But, 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 but you know, if somebody invited you here today, uh, just on the way home, if you're, while, you're, while you're talking to them, just say, listen, I asked Jesus to help me find rest today. Just tell somebody. Tell somebody. And I think they can walk with you from there. It's a really beautiful first step. But I'm also thinking mainly today, maybe there's a lot of us that just need to repent of some things because maybe he's been asking those of us who know him, who do know him, to walk a certain way or to not walk a certain way. And we've just been kind of ignoring that still small voice. And it's getting harder and harder to hear because your heart is getting harder and harder. Maybe today we've heard his voice and we haven't done anything about it. And, and let me be honest, it, it really does not matter how small or how big that is. It just is what it is. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because if you go that route, what ends up happening is you walk around and enjoy all the provisions of God, all the blessings of God, but you're no longer able to see that he's the one providing him. And that's a really dark, cold place. So maybe today we just need to repent because he's been asking some things of us that we've been unwilling to give and he, or he's been asking us to acknowledge some things that we don't want to acknowledge. He's been asking us to walk in cert, a certain direction, to walk towards something to, or to walk away from something. But in the middle of all that, we refused. And we just keep saying no. And the tragedy is that what we're really doing is we're robbing ourselves of joy and rest. My hope today is that you'll hear his voice.
and you would not harden your heart. Would you bow your head? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for, for a chance to get together and to open up the scriptures and kind of just wade through them. And I thank you today, God, that you do offer us rest, and you offer us a home. And I know there's so many, God, in this world that are living with this unrest. They're looking for answers. They're trying to find something to satisfy their soul. And, and, and God, the fact is, we're just not going to find it outside of you. You're, you're the only place we can call home. Lord, I thank you for that invitation. I thank you, Lord, and I pray that even if, if, it, if it meant we had to cross a raging river or, or, or we had to face giants like the Israelites, that we'd be willing to follow you in obedience to get there. Lord, I thank you for grace. Such a beautiful picture that you love us right now as we are, but you love us too much to leave us like we are. And, but I pray, Father, that you would pr protect us from, from taking your grace lightly or, or protect us from trying to use your grace as a banner under which to live our, our sinful lives. And God, I pray that we would listen to your voice and that we would obey when you speak and that in that we might find ourselves going deeper and deeper into the, into the home that you've created for us, into the rest that you have for our souls. Help us, Lord. We love you and we, we want to love you more than we do. So help us heads bowed and eyes closed. I, I don't know where anybody is. That's the thing. We, we're so good at wearing masks. We can fool everybody almost all the time. But we can't ever fool ourselves and we can't ever fool God. And this morning, if you'd say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. I, God has been speaking to me and I've been ignoring his voice. I'm not saying that you're lost. I'm not saying that you've abandoned him, but Maybe you've set yourself to wandering a bit because you've refused to listen. And today, you want to come back to him and say, okay, God, I need some rest. My soul needs some rest. I'm ready to say yes to you. If that's you and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Maybe online, you're, you, you could just say, pray for me in the comments. Father, you see every heart. And Lord, those of us that are coming to you in repentance, God, I want you to pray your prayer right now if you raised your hand. Lord, those that are coming to you in repentance, just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help them to find rest, to find peace in you. That they'll stop searching in other places, that they'll stop ignoring your voice. That, God, that they will follow you wholeheartedly because even when you lead us into the scary places, what you're really doing is leading us into the place of rest, into the place of joy, into the place of peace. And, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that you would draw us to you, that you, we'd stop running. That, that in the, our struggles, in our sin, in our issues, God, that, in, that we'd stop running from you and start running to you. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. And I, I believe, God, that you have a rest for us and that in, the, in that rest, you're going to use us to, to help a restless world find peace in you, Lord Jesus. And we give you thanks for everything. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.